It's great to be back in Logan. For those of you that are the summer individuals, you probably don't even know who I am. But my name is Dean, and I'm one of the pastors at Alpine. And the others of you have seen me a couple of times recently. Um, I was wondering why I kept coming to um, Logan, and I found out that you guys liked me because I always ended before time. So... <laughs> that my sermons were short, and so you, li- you liked me. So I don't know about today. We might go the full time today, but um, so I might not be back for a while. <laughs> but it is uh, good to be here with you today. We have been in this series on the Jesus Way. Um, this is our fourth week in this series, and I don't know about you, but if you've been attending they have been a bit challenging um, to receive and to accept and figure out just how much we need Jesus um, to walk in the Jesus way. And so we are now on our fourth um, week of this series. And we started, um, last week we actually did four number four, and this week we're doing number three. And we've been looking at six contrasting statements that Jesus used to point individuals beyond their common way that they understood the law towards its true intent and how it should be reflected in his kingship in their lives. You know, we no, no longer are we bound by the written cold stone tablets, it's now written on our hearts as we are new creations in Christ. And that is how we can live the Jesus way. So today we are looking at number three, which is marriage and divorce. So let's look at the passage that we'll be dealing with. And that is in Matthew chapter five, where they all have been. And Jesus says, you have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Well, I think I liked it two weeks ago when I was here because we were talking about how much God loves um, Um, mothers. So this is a little more of a difficult conversation to have than um, that conversation just two weeks ago. But just as in the time of Christ, culture continues to play a large role in how society views marriage and divorce. In our current culture, for the most part, does not view marriage or divorce as an issue of any great significance. Um, In the United States, there are 2,400 divorces a day. Um, In a year, that equals 867,000. In 1980, around the 1980s, was the highest percent of divorce, which was around 50% of all marriages ended in divorce. 
Um, it's decreased a little since that time. However, we now have many people that are not getting married that are in significant relationships, and we don't know how many of those long-term relationships end in separation. So we don't know, really, if that percentage is the same or even higher. Also an interesting note is that divorces among individuals that are 65 and older has tripled in the last couple of years. Something just to think about. Well, is that any different with the Christian community. There was a study done in 2008 by Barna that basically, basically said, no, there's not really any difference between the two. Uh, the rate among Christians is basically the same. However, that included um, nominal, uncommitted Christians. So if you looked at those active believers who were attending and participating their divorce rate was a little bit better. They were at about 25 to 33% divorce rate for those. An interesting fact is the nominal Christians actually had a 20% increase over the general population of getting a divorce. So whether it's the general population, whether it's the active believers, the numbers are significant, and our culture, its views, its beliefs, its values, the role that media plays, really does have an impact. And the culture of the Israelites before the time of Christ and during the time of Christ also played a role in divorce. In that culture, only men could get a divorce. They're the only ones that could pursue a divorce. In addition, in order to get that divorce, a man would have to prepare what was called a writ of divorce. And that was really important for the woman because without that writ of divorce, she couldn't get remarried. And in that society, she had to get remarried because there was no other support system. She wouldn't be able to survive. So she needed that writ of divorce. At that time, there were two camps of religious thought among the Israelites. One camp only allowed men to get a writ of divorce from their wife if she committed some type of sexual immorality. Then the other camp was, and the one that really was the majority at that time, was you could get a writ of divorce for any reason you wanted to give it and have your wife go away. Even, it's even in this, even if she, you didn't like how she cooked her meals. That's how far it went. You have to remember in that culture, in that day, unfortunately, women were really not considered partners in that relationship. They were considered more property. And it is this culture 
and this attitude that Christ confronts in Matthew chapter 5. His purpose is not to condemn anyone or look backwards at individuals' past behavior in this area. His purpose was to show them a better way, was to communicate the Jesus way. And the same is true for us here this morning. None of us can go back and change the past. This message is not intended to beat anyone up or judge anyone for past decisions or experiences you may have had or had to endure. It is to look forward and to be challenged to consider the Jesus way as it relates to marriages and not to just accept the practices that we find in our culture. So Jesus begins by pointing out that this piece of paper, this writ of divorce, was never meant to redefine marriage. Marriage was always God's idea, and we find this clearly stated in Matthew chapter 19. So let's just read this together. Jesus says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this is, explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus is rooting his answer not just in the Mosaic Law. He's going all the way back to creation when he talks about this union. He is literally quoting from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. God's original intent was for a man and a woman to unite and not to be separated. This is still God's intent and desire. It is part of the original order of creation. Has man messed this up over the ages? <laughs> yeah, he's done a pretty good job of that. Um, but that doesn't change God's intent or the order of creation. We see this recognition of man falling short of this intent and how Jesus responds to the Pharisees as we continue to read here. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Men's hearts were as cold as those stone tablets. The word literally here means a heart that's dried up. No feelings. You see, men were just sending their wives away without any thought behind it, leaving them in dire straits. Because if they didn't have that writ of divorce, even before the writ of divorce, if you sent your wife away, she was still your property. So she couldn't get joining another relationship. She couldn't be 
She couldn't survive. She was left in a situation that was not good. So that's why a writ of divorce was permitted in the first place. It was never the intent, but it was needed to provide a way for a woman to survive. It permitted for someone else to have her as their property. So you can see just how far that culture had moved away from God's original design for marriage. And we see the same tendencies in our culture today. We don't have a writ of divorce, but we have what's called a no-fault divorce, which is quick, easy, and you don't have to have any burden of proof. Our culture has moved just as far away from God's design, his intent, his eternal truth. And whenever we stray away from God's original design, regardless of what the subject matter is, today we're talking about marriage, but regardless of what the subject matter is, as a culture, as a community, as an individual, we end up suffering. It should be obvious to us what the breakdown of the family unit ordained by God has done to our society. Men has a way of messing up God's perfect design. Men also have a way of creating various scenarios that fracture or prevent that unity God intended. All of these are a result of fallen man and the impact on that unity that was intended. However, none of that changes the fact that marriage was, is, and will continue to be God's created order, his plan, his desire. So just as a piece of paper was not meant to redefine marriage, it was, that piece of paper was never intended to make marriage end in an easy way. So divorce is not an easy way out. It creates a ripple effect that disrupts the whole family. As we just saw, the only reason the writ of divorce was given in the first place was because of the hardness of a man's heart. They used and abused that system of writ of, of divorce for their convenience. And here is where Jesus gets radical. So he says to them, okay, so you're going along, things are great, you can give a writ of divorce, no skin off your back, she goes away, you can get another one. <laughs> no big deal. She can get remarried. And then he says, but the reality of it is, is this. If you send your wife away, you're not sending her away just to get remarried. You're sending her away and you're causing her to commit adultery. That was a radical, radical statement in that culture in that day. All of a sudden, 
They went from, hey, I could send her away and she can get remarried, to if you send her away, you're causing her to commit adultery. And that is why the disciples, immediately when they heard this explained, said this, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Everything had just changed. Now if you sent a woman away, your wife away for whatever reason, you didn't just send her away to get remarried, you sent her away to commit adultery. And interestingly enough, it's interesting what Jesus says and what Jesus does not say here. He doesn't say that the woman causes the adultery. What does he say? He says it's the man, the husband, causes her to commit adultery. His actions, his behavior, he in essence is now guilty of breaking the law of Moses. Why? Why this change? It really isn't a change. Jesus is just bringing up the point that, hey, that piece of paper doesn't change how God sees things. God's proclamation of unity and never being separated doesn't change. Both the Pharisees and disciples were beginning to comprehend that there was no easy way out of a marriage the Jesus way. The consequences were completely different. Men's selfish, selfish actions was now causing a huge ripple effect on the woman involved because she was forced, forced to commit adultery. She had no choice. Well, today, remarriage may not be as necessary. In that culture, they had to get remarried. This culture, some women can make it without getting remarried. And maybe the divorce doesn't necessarily end in having to commit adultery. But there still is a definite ripple effect that impacts the entire family and the culture and society. You know, the disciples that I mentioned earlier, um, they were left questioning, well then what, where do we go from here? If sending your wife away, well you really can't send her away now because you're making her commit adultery. So, and if you do send her away, you're really breaking the law of Moses. So, what's the answer? Well, the answer is that you don't need an outer piece of paper if you have an inner heart that is not dried up, but is selfless. The Jesus way I don't know what we're doing here. Hey, there we go. The Jesus way teaches us to be selfless and fight for our marriages. Being selfless 
rather than hard-hearted is the Jesus way in marriage. Well, what does that look like? I mean, it's easy to say that, but what does that look like? What's our example? Well, Jesus provides the example to us. We have that example in Ephesians chapter 5. Maybe. There we go. It says, For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Oh, we went too far. Okay, here we go. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. This is our example. Christ. He gave himself up. He emptied himself. He sacrificed himself. His interest was on the church rather than himself. In our marriages, the interest should be on making your spouse everything they potentially should be. And that's what Jesus did. He made the church holy and blameless. He's our example. This is what it means to be selfless. The passage goes on and says, For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a real mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So Jesus shows us again that we love our own body. We cherish our own body. We don't abuse our own body. We don't tear up our own body. We care for it. Just as Christ, again, as our example, cares for the church, his body. He nourishes it. He cares for it. He cherishes it. That's what it means to be selfless. And if some of you have a wife that reminds you of that, that's a good thing. Um, I've been fortunately married for 34 years. My wife's back there, Judy, so say hi, Judy. She's in the back row, but we've been married 34 years. She's one of those that will remind you <laughs> about being selfless, but that's a good thing. I find it interesting in this passage in Ephesians um, that Paul goes back to where? He quotes the same thing Jesus quoted. Back to Genesis, chapter 1, chapter 2. To the original design. To the original order of creation. You see, the fact is that if we act like Jesus, selfless, 
in our relationships and in our marriages, God's original design becomes much more of a reality. Only Jesus can give us this new life. Only he can bring about this change from a hard heart to a selfless heart. You can't do it on your own. It's Christ in you. This should be the desire of all of us this morning, to have more of a selfless heart, whether you're married or not. Without Jesus, there is no way to live this out. And that is why it's called the Jesus way. This is usually when I'd stop and you'd all be happy because we'd be out of here early. But it's not quite over today um, because there's this interesting statement made by Paul here about this mystery. And we wouldn't understand what God was trying to communicate way back in Genesis if we didn't explore this mystery. So what does it matter and why did God establish it the way that he established it that a man and a woman would become one, they would be united, and they wouldn't be separated. What is the big deal anyways? Well, there's truth to the fact that it creates order in society. It prevents chaos from ruling. But it goes much deeper than that. You see, God's design for marriage is that it is a picture of the union between him and those he calls his own. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God used imagery related to marriage to explain his love and commitment toward Israel. When the nation of Israel rebelled against him, God expressed through his prophets the sorrow and jealousy of a man who had a cheating wife. We can see examples of this both in Jeremiah and Malachi. In Jeremiah it says, Surely, as a woman treacherously departs from her lover, so, have, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Malachi, which is a very famous passage as it relates to divorce, the context is this. The Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Israel was the cheating wife. Israel was the one divorcing God. Israel was leaving her first love. And it was in this context of Israel going after other gods that God says he hates divorce. Marriage represented a sacred union that Israel should keep with their God. If marriage is not held as sacred, there is no imagery of the sacred relationship between God and humankind. If you can 
separate that oneness from your spouse, you can separate that oneness from your God. The mystery goes even deeper. In the New Testament, as Christ is seen as the husband of the church, the wife. Again, if marriage is not sacred, if marriage wasn't created to make two one, then we would never, ever be able to comprehend the fact that you and I, the church, are, with, are one with Christ. We are his body. I'm not making that up. That's the truth of the scripture. Ephesians 1, 23, referring to Christ, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 1 Corinthians, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ. I'm not sure we fully comprehend this oneness with Christ in all of its aspects. I mean, we are one with Christ. We are his hands and feet. We are his presence with people around us. If we lose that imagery of oneness of a marriage, we will never be able to comprehend that oneness that we have with Christ and what's intended for it. I think it's safe to say that if we definitely don't get how we are close in comprehending our relationship with Christ, then it, it just impacts how we see marriage and we make it something less. So I believe this imagery, God's relationship with his people, Christ's relationship with the church is worth fighting for. It is worth fighting for our marriages that were ordained by God and we do it through being selfless, Jesus' way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that there was a reason that you established marriage. And that that, that reason goes even beyond our relationship with our spouse. That you were trying to communicate to us what it meant to be one with you. Lord, just give us clarity on that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.